Welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow, a podcast bringing you information and inspiration from people in all walks of life. This is competitive eater Michelle Lesko. Welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow. I'm so excited about today's episode because I have with me incredible competitive eater. She's ranked number nine in the world by Major League Eating, and she's the winner of the women's division at the 2021 Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest, Michelle Lesko. Yay, Michelle's here. Hi, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me on. Of course. Now, you and I go back a bit. We're actually, we used to be old friends. So that's- Yeah, a long time. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on because of that reason, number one. Yeah, you're actually an older friend of mine who I met when I lived in Tucson, Arizona. So when I was coming up with ideas for episodes for the podcast, you were on my list. And it's funny because I decided to dedicate the first- three episodes to a social anxiety disorder that I struggled with as a kid. And um, what ended up happening was when it came time to pick the topic of the fourth episode, which is this episode, it just so happened to coincide with your big Nathan's win. So I'm just so grateful to have you here. And I think it's a really cool story, your story in particular. And I'm just going to tell the listeners a little bit about how we met and the background of that, and then we'll dig deep into the goods of your story. So I ended up moving to Tucson from Boston about a month after I graduated college, and that was back in 2008. I actually moved there in an attempt to make a long-distance relationship that I was in work, and after that failed within the first week, (laughs) I found myself um, feeling all down and out, and I wasn't sure what I should do, but I decided instead of packing my bags and going back home, I wanted to make the best of this new city and see what it had to offer, even though I knew absolutely no one in it. (laughs) So what I did decide to do is I got a full-time job, but I also decided on the side to use some of my music promotion skills that I learned in college and attempt to start my own independent music promotion company. And I wanted to help local bands in the Tucson area. So one of the bands that I ended up working with was a band called Race You There. They played a charity show that I put together. I think it was the December that I moved there. So December 2008. Um, And then I started to go to their shows. And I was telling people about them, trying to get that promotion out there. But um, because I had a deep desire to make friends at the time, I decided to kind of overstep my professional boundaries as a promoter and I was taking their invitations to go to these after parties after the shows. This is where Michelle came in and (laughs) this is how I met you, Michelle. You were a friend and a fan of the band, correct? Yeah, so I met uh, Race You There because one of my, I was working at AmeriCorps at the time, which is an organization kind of like Peace Corps, but not overseas. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my long distance coworkers in this uh, group that was putting together a governor's conference on volunteerism uh, came to me and she's like, hey, I'm going to this concert and uh, 
this guy is goes to my church and he plays music there and he invited me out. Will you go with me so I don't have to go alone? And I was thinking, oh, great, church band music suite. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's do this. But there was alcohol, so I went. Um, and there's two groups. There's this, there's this solo act that was hilarious and like almost like a wedding singer in his like angry singing what it was just bizarre to me and I thought it was funny and I grabbed a CD and uh there was Race You there and I grabbed their CD as well and uh when went on um this this is in the days of MySpace this is how old Aaron and I are uh <laughs> so I went on MySpace uh to find both these bands or whatever and uh ended up like you know becoming MySpace friends. And it turns out that these guys in Race You There are pretty funny. So I would make my like snarky comments at some of the stuff that they would post and they would always come back with something equally snarky. And I'm like, these guys are cool. And it took me about, uh, I don't know, it's probably like six months until I went to a second show. And then just became really good friends, like, like over those six months, became good friends with all the different members via like our weird internet interactions. And so came out, uh, you know, met the friends and the girlfriends hung out, like they're all just interesting, funny people. So uh, we just like clicked and hung out from there. And then you came. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So like, I I remember too, that's how I found them too. Um, I was just looking up, I found some kind of directory with local bands uh, in Tucson. And I just randomly clicked on a few and they were the one that stuck out. And it was because of their MySpace. They had like it was like they had a cool MySpace and like, oh, these guys, and then I listened to the little music clips they had on there. <laughs> and, it lived up to their slogan, MySpace, a place for friends. Like it worked out. It did. It used to be the coolest, and now it's like nothing. But you know, it was. I I, I went on MySpace just out of curiosity a couple of years ago, and I'm like, what is this like dystopian hellhole that they've created? Yeah, I went on there too. And I, I was wondering, because I was like, if I can remember my password, maybe I can see all the messages that I had. And they like deleted everyone's messages. Yeah, that's why I went on too. But yeah, so they were the, the OG of social media, though, for sure. Yes, I came in because I started going to these parties that they invited me to their after parties that were wild, let me tell you. <laughs> um, it's funny, because when I think back now, I'm like, oh my God, I could never have the energy or the stomach to drink like we drank and to stay up all night, like do that now. That that was like, we're talking what, 13 years ago? (laughs) It's so crazy. It's exhausting to think about. (laughs) Yeah. And I never partied in college. So when I moved there, like right after, and they started doing all this, I'm like, oh, this is great. I've never done this before. This is fun. No wonder why people like to party. So I just started doing it too. I mean, we were all responsible. It wasn't bad partying, but it was, yeah, it was fun, but it was exhausting. And yeah, you have to be young to do that. The amount of sleep that I lost over those several years is incredible. It is. It, it it was like we got up and did it again. It was like we just needed a few hours, what, maybe an hour of sleep? And that, and yeah. Then, we were and cool. then, then you like sluggishly move throughout the first hours of the day. Yeah. Yeah. You like need that caffeine boost a little bit and then you're, you're yeah. good. Yeah. So that's how I met you in that atmosphere. Um, yeah. 
but it was fun. I mean, we were young and it was fun. And it's so funny to say we were young, like it's so long ago. It doesn't like, it kind of was kind of long ago, but it doesn't. Yeah. We're old now is what that means. Yeah. (laughs) 12, 13 years. Like that is insane. Cause in a way it feels like yesterday. Yeah. I guess that's, that's what being an adult is. (laughs) They all say it and now we're living it. Yeah. It's losing track of how many years have passed since, like, your good times. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's just a different dynamic when you're an adult, but I don't regret anything. Back then, I thought it was fun. We made a lot of good friends, and it was a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so in the midst of all that, all right, I'm going to tell you, I remember you being pretty different from a lot of the other people that we'd hang out with. And I don't just mean the amount of food you could put down. We'll get to that in a minute. But um, yeah, I do remember you being pretty different. You were different in the way that you just seemed very nonchalant about things. And you were very like stress-free and drama-free. And maybe you were like that personally. I don't know how you were like outside. I mean, we hung out outside that group too. But I don't know how you were like alone. But this was my observation of you. You just didn't focus on the negative things. There were a lot of negative things that happened, like with all those people, all those personalities together. We'd have some crazy things come up, but you just kind of stayed away from the drama and you were like everyone's friend, I remember. And everyone wanted to be your friend because of that, I think. That's my perception of it, but. I tried to be pretty chill. <laughs> yeah, you were just cool, Michelle, hanging out, being kind and nice to everybody. <laughs> And you were like, you treated us all equally. And that's that's honestly what I remember about you when I think back on that. I'm like, oh, she's just cool. Michelle, she was always the drama-free one. She was just mature and doing her thing and having fun. And it was, it was <laughs> cool. So you also helped me with my promotions company, I remember. And uh, you were just cool like that. We'd, we'd have fun times and just being young. It's funny because I think we had a sleepover at my house one time. I found a picture not too long ago. And it's you, me, and Sarah. And we were all just like, we. I guess you call it a selfie now. Back then, that selfie was <laughs> It was just a picture of us. But we were in wigs. Do you remember this? We were in wigs. I, we, I kind of remember this. We were in wigs and you were like looking down at my head and you had your tongue out. You have to send me this picture. That's hilarious. Yeah, I will. But when we used to hang out, the thing I remember when I look back is what I think this is now known as the start of your impressive eating challenges. So I remember us going out to eat sometimes with friends and you would finish other people's meals or someone, <laughs> <laughs> someone would dare you to eat a large amount of something and you would do it, but you wouldn't just do it. You do it quickly. I think it was maybe even the last time we hung out before I moved away. You ate something. I don't remember what it was, but you ate something and it was so quick. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, like what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, I was just, oh, I just couldn't believe that was even possible. But to put this in perspective, this is when I was in AmeriCorps and I was super poor and starving all the time. So, <laughs> so that may have had something to do with it. So that that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> At least we're grateful for the food, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, you didn't let anything go to waste. And I don't mean that in a bad way. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we were all amazed. And I just remember I was joking too when you did that, that you should become a competitive eater. 
and it was all just very tongue-in-cheek whatever and then cut to about hmm, let's see today about 12 years later (laughs) and here you are ranked number nine competitive eater in the world and the women's winner of the biggest american eating challenge nathan's hot dog eating contest eating almost well you said you ate 31 hot dogs in 10 minutes yeah that's insane it's been a crazy ride and it was all totally unexpected like it just stemmed out of like uh you remember Andrew and Alex both members of Race You there and yeah. they had been and I swear to god you were still in Tucson for this but maybe you weren't cuz it was it had to have been 2009 or 10 I want to say 2010 but uh Man versus Food had Lindy's on fourth um on the as one of the challenges he did and so I didn't I never saw that episode but Andrew and Alex started talking about it for months. They're like, we're going to go try this burger challenge. It was on man versus food. And I'm like, okay, when you guys go, I want to watch you because that sounds awesome. (laughs) And for months, and then we finally get down there and both of them chickened out. Alex is like, well, I'm not really that hungry. I'm kind of a little hungover. And like, that's what both of them did. And and I was like, eat the stupid burger because I'm so sick of hearing about it because they've been closed on like Mondays and we had tried to go down there and like just eat the stupid burger at this point. And so uh, they're like, you eat it. And I was like, fine, I'm going to eat it, you babies. Like, <laughs> And I think I convinced Alex to also try it. But I only remember that because we went back to Steve's house afterwards and he still had like eight of the 12 patties like in a to-go box. Um, that he brought home with them and ate over the next couple of days. But, uh, but yeah, I only finished it so that they would feel bad about themselves. Cause that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> <laughs> it was also stupid because like that was the kickoff. And then it was just, you know, random friends telling me, Hey, go try this thing. Hey, go try this thing. Um, so there was like a dessert challenge and there was like a, another burger challenge, uh, in Phoenix that, uh, my friend Christina like was working with some uh, paper that put it on. And then eventually it was, hey, Tempe has this hot dog qualifier for the Nathan's hot dog contest. Like, you should try it. And I was like, well, I I mean, I'm curious how I would do. And so I just did it. And the rest is history. Wow. Yeah, I think I I remember seeing the first one that you did to make them feel bad. I I think you posted (laughs) that. I wasn't there for it, but I was, I think I was still in Tucson, but I wasn't there for that. So how many competitions would you say, or do you not know? Is it too many? Would you say you did before you entered the first Nathan's? It wasn't that many. And, and it's funny because like that burger challenge was the one that kicked it off, but it wasn't the first food challenge I had ever done. Cause I'm a competitive jerk. So like <laughs> I would try things. So like over the years I've remembered, like had these random memories pop up where like I did the spicy burger challenge while visiting my uncle when I was like 18. Um, because he didn't think I could eat like a ghost pepper burger. And I'm like, yeah, I can. Um, and there was like other random stuff. But but from from the time that I ate that three pound burger to uh, to the time that I tried the Nathan's qualifier, I probably only did like four or five different things um, that people just told me to go try. Uh, yeah, maybe. And I don't even know if I finish them all like I there may have been a couple I failed but it was always like yeah I wonder if I could do that I'll go try it like why not how'd you find out about the Nathans but how'd you get to apply for it 
the burger challenge in Phoenix that I did for, I think it was Phoenix new times that Christina was working at that hosted this thing. Um, it was when I was there, it was me and these two like big guys that looked like they probably played football or something. And I had already done the Lindy's burger. And so I was telling them like, look, learn from my mistakes. We've got to let this cool down before we start eating it or else you're going to destroy your mouth. The steam that is going to continue to steam in your stomach and you're going to be more full and you're just going to feel awful. And they, uh, they kind of like humored me for a couple minutes but they're like, all right, we're ready to eat. I'm like, we should probably still let it cool down. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. And so the second we start eating, they're both like, oh, oh hot. And uh, <laughs> I just threw a bunch of ice on mine and like just ate it. Um, and so, you know, I was done in like three minutes and and they uh, continued to eat for the next like 35 minutes and finally gave up. Um, but anyway, so I write a blog about it. And this random person from the internet who's now a friend of mine, Ryan, he uh, saw my blog and he's like, hey, there's a Nathan's qualifier in Tempe. I think you're close to there. You should go try it. And this is in 2010. This is the year before I actually do my first qualifier. And I'm like, well, I haven't signed up. Um, he's like, it doesn't matter. You're a girl. They'll let you in. And so I'm kind of like, uh, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I won't. So I drive all the way up there, but then I kind of got lost going to the Mills Mall and I ended up just visiting friends instead that day. So the next year I was like, all right, I should try this thing. Um, and, and some more people were telling me to do it. So, uh, uh, I decided, all right, I'm going to register. I'm going to go do this. And like fortuitously I did it that year and not the year before because 2011 was the first year of the women's division. Um, so if I would have gone in 2010, I probably would have come in second to Eric Denmark, like I did in 2011. Eric Denmark had been doing, uh, competitive eating for like years. Um, and so he, he won that one several times in a row, but if I would have done it that first year, I would have come in second. I wouldn't have gotten the trip to New York and it would have been probably been a one-off and I would have been like, well, I know how many hot dogs I can eat. I'm done. Like, uh, so it was just like random, you know coincidence that I I missed out on that first year that someone told me to go. I went on the year I did. I got the free trip to New York. I came in fourth at the finals because I still didn't know what I was doing. I just, you know, went for funsies. Um, and it just kicked everything off. I do remember Denmark, though. He's one of my really close friends now. But he was just this freaking weirdo at the time to me because I was doing this interview right afterwards where I'm like hanging my head in disbelief basically while they're asking like how did you prepare for this and I'm just like what's like do people train for this and he looks at me he's like yeah people train it's a real sport and I'm like who the hell are you you weirdo uh but after my first year at the finals I was like okay no I see where he's coming from because I came in fourth and I probably could have come in you know higher than that had I actually prepared. And so it was like when I used to run cross country as a kid, I'm like, why am I not training harder? I could beat these people if I just did something. So, uh, so yeah, I, at first I thought he was a total psychopath, but then I was like, all right, he's got, he's got a point. Like you don't like losing to people. So I see where you're coming from, dude. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And the rest is history. (laughs) Wow. So how did you feel like the first time you did the Nathan's contest? Did you, were you like, I can't believe I'm here right now. Like, what is this life? Well, at the, at the qualifier, I just like, was like, I I wanted to know how I could do. And so I went in, didn't know how to eat a hot dog. So first bite, I like semi choke on it. Um, 
because I took too big of a bite. You know, burger, if you squeeze your throat, it kind of smashes the burger and you can swallow a piece that was maybe a little too big, but hot dog, not exactly the same. So I like got a little bit slightly backed up and mildly panicked. But if you stay calm, you can usually get stuff down. So anyways, uh, at, at the end of that one, I felt terrible. Um, I ate as much as I possibly could. Every, like at the qualifiers, it's weird because anyone can sign up. So, so at any professional MLE event I've ever been to, there's never been a single person who I take that back. Maybe one person has thrown up in the 11 years I've done it, but at the qualifiers, these random people who have signed up, oftentimes there's a reversal of fortune, as we call it. So my very first qualifier, I'm sitting there after the contest, full and nauseated. And I look to my left and someone is thrown up. And so I look to my right and someone else has thrown up on the back of another person who has then thrown up. Oh. And it was just like this nightmare. And so I just looked down and like put my hands around my forehead to like block my view but that was my very first experience but at the finals it was just surreal like they paid my way out to uh new york they put me up in a hotel i met these weird people i pretended i knew who they were because like i never followed competitive eating so you meet uh you know joey chestnut who's ranked number one in the world you meet pat bertoletti who's ranked number two in the world and you're just like oh these are cool people but they obviously think i know who they are already so i should probably do a real quick google search of some of these names <laughs> And thinking about who I'm talking to because I feel bad that like I don't know anyone. But uh so it was just a weird experience, but fourth place came with twelve hundred dollars, I think. Um maybe it was less at that time. Uh but like I had always wanted to go to New York and I had never been. I'm like, if they're gonna pay my way out, like I will I will keep doing this. This is awesome. But I did feel like a jerk for not training right after the contest was over. That's so funny. So you like kind of fell into this. Some people are like, I'm going to aim to do this. You're just like fell into it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just my curiosity, like being competitive nature, wondering if I can do things that like people bet you to do or challenge you to do. And so it was just like a weird spiral. <laughs> of wow. That's the cool part about it all, I think. Because, yeah, you know, when people aim to do it and they get there, that's cool that their dream has come true. But your dream was a dream you didn't even know you had. Yeah, it was very weird. <laughs> okay, so how does one prepare for an eating contest? I know a lot of people may not understand that competitive eating is actually considered a sport. And it does take certain skills and preparation. As we were just talking about, you've learned. It's not just shoving food in your mouth. There's technique. Tell us about that. Like, how do you prepare? Uh, so normally, on a normal pre-COVID year, uh, for the Nathan's contest, that's the one I prep the most for. Like some of the other contests, like if it's oysters or crawfish or something um, like technique heavy as far as using a cocktail fork or like, uh, you know, trying to figure out how the hell to get oyster meat out of a shell. I'll train for those with with the food in a kind of smaller speed runs, because uh, it's more like just trying to get technique down. But for Nathan's, you go all out. It's a Super Bowl of competitive eating. So normally, I would have a qualifier either in April or, uh, you know, May of that year, the contest is July 4th. And so I would start training before the qualifier, I would keep training like weekly, all the way up until uh, the contest itself. 
But that said, I got myself two years out of practice because of COVID. The last, besides this Nathan's, the last like major contest I was in was Nathan's of 2019. Like I had been to some invite only smaller things that I didn't really train for, even though I should have like, just because you're like, I'm a teacher by day. It's the middle of COVID life is exhausting. But, but when you're stuck in your home, it's so demotivating. Like I, if I have a thousand things on my plate to go out of the house and do, I can get them all done. But if I'm stuck at home and just need to do a load of laundry, it's probably going to be a week until I can motivate myself to do it. And so training was kind of the same where, you know, I finished my teaching year. I was 99% sure that this contest was happening because they made it happen in 2020. Um, I unfortunately couldn't be there because of COVID travel restrictions, but I should have started training in April. And so, you know, June 1st rolls around and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I need to start training. Let me open up this fundraiser so that people give me a reason to like sit down and do this, you know, these practices. And I, I did seven practices, eight practices in the month of June. Um, and those were all in basically the first two weeks and the last week of June because I'd take a week off for vacation with my boyfriend and his kids. So I, at some point I was doing a training with hot dogs every other day to like catch up to uh, the fundraising goal stuff that I had. But for me, since I was so far out of practice, it was all about relearning technique. I couldn't remember like muscle memory, how I ate hot dogs quickly. And so I was trying different things. I also had torn my ACL snowboarding in uh February and had surgery in April. And so I'm still not allowed to like jump or twist. So like little things throughout the contest that you would normally do like are off the table, literally. <laughs> um, so, so basically re- reinventing the wheel as far as like, how can I get down hot dogs fast? How can I get uh, the burps up without jumping um, and pack the food down? And so I, I came into this year with a lot of new strategies that had never come together fully in my practices. Like my practices blew, they sucked a lot. Uh, I was eating really low numbers, but somehow like at the finals, after all those practices with techniques and all these different like tricks up my sleeve, as far as like what to do when my throat got tired, like that's where, that's where it all came together. So really the, (laughs) to answer your very simple question in a very long way, Like you, you just have to figure out the food itself and like in a 10 minute span, like what obstacles you're going to face and how you're going to overcome them, those obstacles at different points throughout. Like when your throat gets tired, how are you swallowing now? When you get, uh, you know, your mouth backed up and you can't hard swallow, what are you using to get it down? Like if you get gas trapped, how are you getting the gas up? Like it's just all very weird, specific things. Um, that that you have to prepare for and hope it all comes together somehow. Wow. Yeah, that stuff you don't even really think about how the gas comes up. <laughs> like Yeah. Like if you're gulping hot dogs, like you're gonna be swallowing air. So that's like the main yeah. problem. Wow. And that really sucks about last year because I know was it just certain states that they didn't let travel, right? Yeah. Okay. Like we didn't even know if the contest was happening. And a couple weeks before the fourth, they're like, Hey, it's happening. Do you want to be there? And I'm like, yes. And they bought me the tickets. And then 10 days before the contest, uh, governor Cuomo's like anyone from these specific States, if you come to 
New York, you have to quarantine for 14 days. And the fact that that was 10 days before the 4th of July made it literally impossible uh, logistically to make it happen. So I had to cancel my flights and call it a day. But I was out of practice anyway. So I guess it's all for the best. But yeah, it's like you just missed it. But I mean, look at you this year, so. <laughs> I know, and it worked out really well. And my my really close friend, Mickey Sudo, who got first in previous years, uh, seven-time champion, mm-hmm. uh, was pregnant this year. So that made it even more fortuitous because she was not able to compete. And yeah. so it, it, it made it basically mine for the losing. So it was like, it should be mine, but if I can't get my stuff together, um, then it's, someone else is going to take it because I, and it would be my fault. So that was the anxiety I went into the contest with is like, if I lose today, it's totally on me. Like, there's no excuses. Yeah. Well, you didn't lose. So yeah. And that wave of relief, right? When I was done, I was like, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine Oh, that adrenaline. And then you're just like, thank God. Yeah. So it was weird because like, I can, like, I've watched the replay and you can even see my face. It's like, it's over and I'm like relieved. And then all of a sudden it hits me. Oh, I just won the Nathan's contest. It's nuts. And then all of a sudden I get like weirdly emotional. (laughs) It's like, Oh my God, what the hell just happened? That's normal. I mean, come on. You're like, like you said, you won the Super Bowl of competitive. So you mentioned uh, Mickey, that's a good segue into my next question. So how is it with, fellow competitive eaters like when you went in there and you started doing this every year or even not even just nathan's but other contests where you see a lot of the same competitive eaters is it easy to just kind of become friends with them or is there like like how do you handle the the competitiveness between you guys so so lucky for us competitive eating is just as much like a you versus yourself sport as a you versus other people's sport being independent, um, you know, a, a solo sport like tennis or track or whatever, uh, swimming, like you're just trying to improve on yourself and whatever ha- happens as the outcome of the contest, good or bad, like that's on you. So, so this year, that was part of the thing too, is like, if I lose this year, but hit a personal best, then you got to be okay with that. Like you've done all that you can and, and props to the other people for like their improvements. But if you lose without hitting a personal best, that's on you (laughs) for not bringing it. So, so at the table, we're all really competitive. We're all like vying for those spots, but then like, you know, you step away from the table and you found these really weird people that somehow fell into the same weird thing that you fell into. And then you just find out that they're all really like genuinely cool people. So a lot of times, you know, you're traveling out. Um, I've, I've shared rooms with other people to split costs at contests where it's not paid for. I've road tripped with people to contests. Uh, like we, we all hang out afterwards. Like if we're there a couple days, we might go out like every night besides, you know, pre-contest night. Um, and and you just build these friendships along the way. So so like Mickey, uh, first time I met her was at a qualifier in uh, Vegas, and uh, we we had never heard of her before. Like I was the women's favorite at that one, and she just blew me out of the water. Like to my you know twenty four hot dogs or whatever I was eating at the time, she ate like thirty something, and I was like, you know, I hate her. 
why couldn't you go literally anywhere else? But like, you got to respect that. And so, uh, qualifiers are a little weird because you know you're meeting people you've never met before so you people don't really hang out after them as much but when we met at the finals and like actually got to know each other it's like okay i really like this person this is this person's pretty awesome and then like you said though like you'll see them again like in different parts of the country and you just get to explore like these new cities together so you guys actually go out and enjoy a normal meal right (laughs) yeah totally Some of the competitive eaters are insane because, you know, YouTube content and whatnot, like they'll go out the day after a contest and go do a pizza challenge or something in a nearby city. And I'm like, okay, if it's crawfish, I could do that because you're eating so such a small amount of food in the time that you have just because it's a technique food. But I mean, if we just ate 11 pounds of poutine the day before, I'm not going to go do a pizza challenge. Like, I'm still waiting for all this to digest, and you guys are insane. <laughs> so, so props to those people. But Jesus Christ, at some point, content isn't worth it. I know. It's all about the YouTube, too, nowadays. It's, it, it wasn't yeah. like that before when we were younger, too. I mean, I feel like yeah. it's such a competitive world overall, Michelle, and you're over here eating hot dogs and just... <laughs> you know, like it's, you're taking it and you're doing it and that's cool yeah if you're gonna compete in something you might as well make it something ridiculous right exactly yeah yeah okay so you're in the guinness book of world records let me tell you yeah. a funny story about that i remember seeing something online about you being in there and a little while later like i mean i think it was like a week later i found myself in a bookstore and I was like oh my god I'm gonna go find the Guinness Book of World Records and just see if her name is in there and I looked and you were listed and I was showing my friend I was with I'm like you have no idea I saw this happen (laughs) like I'm like when she started doing this this is crazy um was it which book was it which year it was a few years ago um so it was I think it was the first time you were in it does that make sense uh, yeah, it was just like a sentence at the bottom of a page, right? Yeah, but still, I mean, it was your name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, I know. I was excited about that one, too. Tell us about that. How many times are you in it and for what? So the first Guinness World Record I ever set, um, it was just like this weird happenstance thing that happened. So me having this like competitive eating background and doing it for years or whatever, um, I want to say this is in 2017 or 2018, I forget. But a local Arizona restaurant called Oregano's randomly emails me and they're like, hey, we uh, wanted to reach out to you because we heard that you like to do charity stuff and fundraisers and stuff and that you're a competitive eater. And uh, we have this annual thing called Carbs for a Cause where every time someone eats a bowl of pasta or orders a bowl of pasta in a restaurant, um, we donate a pound of pasta to the food bank. And we were wondering like, if you would help us promote this year's and they're like, how much pasta can you eat? And I'm like, all right, hang on time out. (laughs) Let me reach out to major league eating and just like clear it through them that I'm allowed to do this uh, because, you know, promoting businesses outside of like the contracted circuit is kind of iffy, but if it's a charity thing, usually like they'll approve it for you. So I get the clearance to promote carbs for a cause. And so I'm like, all right, So I can do this, but like, what are you actually looking for? Because to answer your question, I can eat a lot of pasta, but like, what is the end game here? And they're like, we just want something that 
will attract media attention to this week. And I'm like, all right, time out. And so I look online and I look for the Guinness world record for uh, anything related to pasta. And I find out that the fastest time to eat a bowl of pasta was like 46 seconds or something like that. And I was like, I could do that. And so I'm like, Hey, so instead of, you know, sitting in your restaurant and eating like 11 pounds of pasta, which sounds terrible. How about I just attempt this Guinness world record? And they're like, perfect. Yes, let's do this. Do you think you could get it? Like, yeah. And so we went through the process, signed up for it, whatever, got out there, um, ate the bowl of pasta on my first attempt in like 26.69 seconds, I think it was, and uh, got the Guinness world record. And I think they donated, they ended up, the fundraiser went really well and they donated more pasta than like ever before. It was like a hundred thousand meals of pasta. I don't, I forget the numbers, but, uh, to the food bank. So, so that was really cool. And it was for a good cause. And then I'm in this Guinness book, which was pretty awesome. And I was very excited about, but the other Guinness records just kind of stemmed from that. Uh, so like Guinness emails me one day and they're like, Hey, we want to do like a feature picture of you for our next book. And we'll have an adjudicator on site. If you want to try any other challenges, just let us know and we can expedite it and you can just try it then and there. And so that led to my other two crazy ones, which were pretty weird for no reason. The mayonnaise one. That's it, yeah. right? Yeah. So the most mayonnaise eaten in three minutes was just because when I went on Guinness and looked up like food records, that was one of the ones where I'm like, oh, yeah, there's something like 800 grams. I'm like, I don't hate mayonnaise. A lot of people hate mayonnaise. I at least don't need it. So so this is probably doable. And uh, I was actually going to try to practice for that one. And I bought like a bunch of jars of mayonnaise. And I literally got one like tablespoon scoop in. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wing it. Because <laughs> forget this. Not a delicious thing to do. Yeah. And that video is intense. Like if people want to see it, it's YouTube. You just, all you have to do is like you would search mayonnaise girl or something like that. Right. And it comes up. <laughs> Like, uh, basically yeah. yeah um and then the third one that i had was uh fastest time to eat a hot dog without using your hands and that one i only did again because i it was it was on there and it looked doable but it was actually a lot harder than i thought because the hard part is smashing your face into the table to pick up a bun with your mouth like that's the hard part it's not the eating it part it's the logistically getting the stupid bun up that was the pain in the butt part. Yeah. I was going to try a third one too while I was there. And it was uh fastest time to eat a muffin without using your hands or something like that. But us in America being total gluttons, um, you know, myself excluded, obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, we, we don't have muffins the right size. So it, the Guinness record had a cap where it was like 60 to 80 grams for a muffin. And you go to the store, the smallest muffin, swear to God, that I could find was 110 grams for a normal, what we call a muffin here. And mini muffins are 30 grams. So mini muffins were closer in size to like this record size muffin than uh, our normal. So like I said, we're total pigs over here. Obviously myself excluded. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't find one. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I've I'm probably going to take a couple attempts at this hot dog anyway, so I might as well just not eat anything. Because the, they were all on the same day, so I ate three hot dogs and drank water before the mayonnaise thing anyway. So, <laughs> What a story. That is insane. Yeah. 
But to answer everyone's question that they always have of like, why would I do ma- the mayonnaise? Because it was there. And I wanted to know if I could do it. That's the whole yeah. <laughs> story of my life. Yeah, you don't go into that thinking, oh, this is going to be delicious. No, it got real gross too. Yeah. The photo shoot was right after I set the records. And they w- wanted to do this picture of me uh, holding a jar tilted like I was pouring it into my mouth. And it was mostly empty, but this glob of mayonnaise actually fell on my tongue during the photo shoot and i was like (laughs) give me a minute i just ate the mayonnaise i can't like i gotta reset myself it was super gross it sounds like it (laughs) yeah okay michelle we're gonna talk more about your nathan's hot dog eating contest experience and we're also gonna talk about other things about you like what else you do besides shoving hot dogs in your mouth (laughs) that's pretty much it (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna talk more about that in a minute, but I wanted to take a moment for love letter break. This is love letter break. It's a break I take in each episode to ask my guest to come up with one to three people they'd like to mention who have made a difference in their lives, people they'd like to give a little message of gratitude to. So, Michelle, who are your love letter break people, and what would you like to say to them? Can I do this in groups, small groups? Sure, yeah. So, obviously, since this is competitive eating-themed episode, I have to dedicate one of these to Alex and Andrew. Uh, Andrew, who's... I'm going to cry, who's no longer with us um, for just getting me started on this whole thing, but just their friendship and support over the years too. But so, yeah, it's going to take me a minute. Give me a second. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Michelle. In the meantime, just to give everyone a little bit of background Alex and Andrew are great guys who are in Race You There, which is the band that Michelle and I actually met through. And um, Andrew passed away last year, and he was still very young, so of course it's so difficult for so many people. But what helps me, I think, is remembering what he left behind, the lives he made better, the people he inspired. He was the type of person who had so much passion for what he did. You know, his music, the people he loved, the things he believed in. Yet, I think he also just enjoyed the simplicity of life. And I know, like Michelle was, he was definitely one of the people who helped me the most after I moved to Arizona back in the day and didn't know anyone. So I try to remember that, and I'm just so grateful to have shared that time with him. And I know he was a very special person to you, Michelle. Yeah, he one of my truly one of my closest friends for you know over a decade, um, like since the moment I met him. So to him, thank you for not just starting me on this weird competitive eating uh, journey along with Alex, um, but just the friendship over the years and being there for me and to talk to. He was kind of my go-to. Um, whenever I needed to talk through something. So it was always really awesome. And then uh, the next one's also going to make me cry. Uh, So my parents, my mom was there at the 4th of July this year. Uh, It was the first ever contest she had ever come to. 
And, uh, but she had always still found a way to be really supportive of the competitive eating stuff at home. Um, my dad had been to several contests, basically anytime there was one near him. Um, and then anytime, uh, you know, I could get him there. So he came out to the Nathan's contest a couple years back. Um, and I still hear his voice in my head when, you know, Mm -hmm. like at the, at the 4th of July, he would have been like, that's my baby. Like, so he passed away also a couple years back. So I think those are my two major groups of people to think specifically about this whole competitive eating thing. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that, Michelle. To get through that without crying, like, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> you know, that's the whole point of Love Letter Break. I started it because we don't tell people how much they mean to us enough. And obviously, there's people that have passed away, and, and we probably did tell them, you know, like, I know you, Andrew knew that, you know, you adored him, and we all adored him when he was here. So that's that's not what I'm talking about. But there are some people that they are loved, but they're never really told until it's yeah. too late, you know, till they've passed on. And, and I always thought it was weird how we only do eulogies for people who are gone. It's like, what about when they're here? <laughs> you know, that was the whole point of this. And it's always good to hear that you're making a difference. Totally. So yeah, Alex and Andrew and your dad, I love it. Three very important people in, in your competitive eating career, but also in your life. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing again. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I'm so sorry about your dad too. We had a we had a complicated relationship over our whole, you know, life. He had mm -hmm. his own issues, but like towards the end, like we we had developed a really close relationship and you know it's always hard to lose someone who you talk to that frequently because then there's that, you know, constant hole. Yeah, of course. I mean, we all know, you know, we're only here temporarily, but it kind of puts it back in the, the forefront of your mind. You're kind of like, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's what being a human is. <laughs> yeah. Um, Stupid mortality. <laughs> I don't know what you believe, but like, I definitely believe in like energy and that we go on in some way, you know, I don't think this is it. I mean, at the very least, your calories for something else, so. <laughs> That would, that's the best joke to put in for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so when I watched you on TV at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, that atmosphere is intense. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you did it for how many years? How many times have you been in that? This was my 10th time. It would have been my 11th um, had it not been for the year I had to take off for COVID. Oh, wow. Okay. But. You've been in that atmosphere 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that experience. In the most recent one, you kept moving your body throughout the time you were shoving the hot dogs in your mouth and doing your thing. And you look like you were in a zone. So what was that about? Is that like a special technique you do when you're moving your body? Is it to get it down quicker? Like what, what's going on there? Uh, it's funny because I, for several of the minutes, I didn't feel like I was in a zone. Like I, I have ADHD, like pretty hard. So, uh, one of my things is like trying not to be distracted by the things around me, but inevitably I feel like I hyper focus in on weird things that I shouldn't be worried about. So like my counter was off for the couple, first couple minutes. Um, he had me at one ahead of where I was or two ahead of where I was. He finally got it right at around the 11th hot dog. But so I was like trying to ignore that, but it was like so hard to like 
ignore <laughs> I don't know uh but so with the moving around thing that's uh like I said I had to develop new strategies this year not only because I forgot muscle memory how to eat hot dogs but uh because of my ACL so a lot of that was trying to swallow hard so there are certain ways that you know your throat will swallow harder than you know if it's you're doing other things so part of that is getting your throat to swallow hard instead of like passively and part of it was trying to keep the air worked up throughout so that I wouldn't have to worry about so much of it trapped. So bending down to keep the food moving around the air and like not getting this big bubble down at the end. And it turned out pretty good. Like it worked pretty well in the end. Like normally at the end of that many hot dogs, I would feel much more full. Uh, for me, I didn't hit a higher number because I ran out of time and not ran out of room. So it, it, the technique and strategy hasn't like perfectly come together, but it, I did feel a lot better this year than even after some years where I ate less, uh, I took less water down and, uh, just, I think was more efficient overall. Nice. Now I always wondered this too, about the contest when you're in the middle of it, the host and the, or the MC or whoever is at a, whatever contest you're doing, they're shouting and keeping score. <laughs> And sometimes they're telling the crowd in front of you that a fellow competitor is so close to reaching where you're at. And then other times they're like, you're way ahead of the game. And like, what is that like? Is that distracting or is that yeah. motivating or both? It's 100% distracting. Um, it is motivating too at times. The crowd itself is super motivating. Like they got crazy this year. It was awesome. But I, I try to ignore to some extent what the announcers say because there have been years where they've been off because they're only as accurate as, you know, the people around them at that moment. Uh, so there have been years where I thought I was five back from someone and I was one back. Like it was, all, and, and I felt defeated because like you, you feel like you can't catch up or there were years where I, they were saying someone was way further behind me when they weren't. So number wise, I've learned to mostly ignore what they say for specifics and know that it's a plus or minus, you know, a certain amount in there. Um, but sometimes they'll just say hilarious things where you're just like, what the hell are you talking about? George? Like, <laughs> so one of my practices this year, um, you can see them all on my YouTube page, but, uh, my buddy fellow competitor that was at the table with me had done a couple practices with me and I called in my friend uh who you probably know through the Gracie there times so did you ever meet AJ yeah yeah mm -hmm. so I got AJ Salas who has a twitch uh stream so I was in his twitch stream I'm like hey you want to come in and commentate on one of these uh practices I have and he's like oh yes definitely and so I brought him in and I was like at some points, tell us, you know, how much time is left or whatever, but then basically go ham as far as whatever else you want to say. And uh, it, it worked out really well because AJ is hilarious. And so having that in my practice, like someone saying random stuff that I'm going to be distracted by and like trying to focus it out while I'm eating was kind of one of my strategies this year. Prepare for the environment and the food, really. Yeah. I remember just watching it and I'm like, oh my God, I'd be like, shut up, dude. No. <laughs> it's very distracting at times. Um, but but they come up with some gems. And I think for the crowd, it just makes it that much more of a weird, unique experience. Um, having this like 
carnival barker type of atmosphere like he really does keep people engaged and like the crowd responds fully they were nuts like at times when i felt like i was slowing down just like the roar of the crowd i'm like i gotta keep pushing like this is crazy so what did you do after your win how did you celebrate uh so i pretty much like right after the contest there's still a lot going on So I went out and I cheered for the men in their contest and I was stupid and screamed so hard for these stupid men that I lost my voice (laughs) for like three days. And mind you, the next day I have to do all these interviews. So I'm at these interviews like, sorry, I can't talk if it's boring for them. Like it was really bad. Uh, So that was part of it is going and cheering for them. Um, High fives to the crowd, obviously. Uh, but there's always kind of like a unofficial after party at Coney Island at a place called Ruby's on the boardwalk. It's always packed and, uh, you know, you go there, it's hot, humid. There's like a fan running, but there's no AC. But a lot of the competitors will just go sit there and talk and like hang out for, for a little bit before we jump on the subway or take the bus home or whatever. But uh, getting to Ruby's on the boardwalk, which is probably half a mile from where we competed this year at uh, Maimonides Park. It took me over an hour, like easily an hour and a half to get a half mile because every couple of feet, because I'm carrying this belt and I'm carrying this trophy. (laughs) You're like, oh my God, you just won. I need a picture. And it's Coney Island on the 4th of July. So you stop and you give every person a picture who wants a picture. It's just like the craziest fun experience. And then you just have to make sure that you don't do... Or say anything inappropriate because, you know, you're representing this entity at the moment. But uh, it was it was crazy and it was fun. But the 4th of July in New York is, there's, there's a plethora of things to do. So that's just like the early moments post-contest. Obviously, there's an after-after party and things like that too. But, but yeah, just riding this weird wave of like, oh my god, like this is my moment on the 4th of July in the best place to be, like super awesome. Yeah. So you just mentioned a little bit of this next question, but you're obviously getting a lot of attention with these amazing competitions that you're winning, or at least come close to winning. How have you been handling that? What's like the coolest experience you've had that you may not have had otherwise? And have you had any weird experiences? So like the major league eating thing has like really given me a ton of experiences that I never would have had. Like I was a poor kid growing up, like hella poor. So we never went anywhere. We didn't like, I had always wanted to travel to certain places that I knew, you know, as someone who was, had no supplemental income and was paycheck to paycheck for so long, probably wasn't going to be traveling a lot in my life. And so that first trip out to Coney Island was like, amazing and then there have been contests later on that uh they've flown me out to that like i would have never imagined so i got the chance to go on a navy entertainment tour it's a uh, part of their i want to say mwr it's their like basically the uso for the navy mm-hmm. but uh i got to go to japan for 11 days and go to like five different bases and compete with service members in like this pro-am style thing where it was like competitor paired up with a service member against, you know, two more teams of the same. And it was just so fun to explore a new country, but then also like hang out with the troops and like do something positive that way and like provide this weird little like 
memory for them. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And, and, and when they first told me about it, like legit, I'm just, I'm not expecting these opportunities. So they go, Hey, so we're doing this Navy entertainment tour. It's 11 days overseas. Do you want to do this? And I was like, yes, definitely. And they're like, okay, it's going to be this much. And I'm like, okay, when do I have to have that to you by? And this is when I'm student teaching. So I have like, I'm bartending on weekends to try to make money because I'm no longer uh, substituting like long-term in the classroom for income or whatever. So I'm trying to like, how am I going to get this together? And they're like, no, Michelle, we're giving you this much money. And I was like, are you insane? Because I was figuring out how to make this happen. Like I was going to make it happen. And so uh, that was crazy. Like to, to be provided like a stipend for that sort of thing. But you know, people have to take time off of work. So that's what that's all about. And I was just thinking like, how am I going to save up to make this happen? And then the other crazy one was I got to go to Northern Ireland twice for this oyster eating contest uh, to Hillsborough, Northern Ireland. Um, they had an oyster festival each year and Colin Sherlow was the oyster king. And they'd flown out some other competitive eaters over the years. So they flew me out there, put me up for free for this, uh, gave me a win or lose stipend for it. And uh, the first time out, Colin told me after the contest, he's like, I saw how fast you were going and I had to speed up. Like, you have to come out next year. Uh, so he, he still beat me, but he set his own like world record while doing it. And uh, so they flew me out the next year. And Colin Sherlow, who was 10 years undefeated, I dethroned the Oyster King. Um, <laughs> nice. 227 oysters in three minutes. So that was pretty amazing. Wait, you ate but, 227 oysters? Yeah, in three minutes. <laughs> oh and and this one wasn't like a oyster fork one. You you have to pick up the oyster and like suck it out of the shell. And so he was 10 times undefeated because he was so methodical and mechanical and he didn't fumble for a second. So you're eating more than an oyster per second, basically, is what it comes down to. So if you fumble for even a second, he's going to beat you. And so in that second year, knowing exactly what I needed to do, I had bought uh, like nine oysters the day before at like a little bar and I cleaned the shells off and I took them home and I was sitting in my hotel room all night, picking up and putting down oysters, basically, like just not fumbling for a second, just like technique, total technique. And you don't have to like practice eating them because they're going to swallow down. You just got to not mess up. So that was super cool. But uh, yeah, I got to go to Northern Ireland. Like who gets to say that? Like that someone paid their way out there to eat oysters. It's nuts. Me and Anthony Bourdain, probably the only two people. Oh, that's awesome. So you never have gone out of the country before that? or No. Well, I mean, I had been to Mexico with okay. family as a kid. I think I had been up to Canada, but I, I had never been overseas in my life before those two trips. And I haven't outside of those two trips either. Like, I, like mm-hmm. to some extent, I'm still like a poor kid at heart. When I have extra money, a lot of times I'm donating it. Yeah. Either, like the charity water stuff that I do uh, with my practices or like, I, I don't know if you've heard of the Kiva app, but I love the Kiva app. No, what is that? Uh, so basically, uh, have you ever seen the uh, documentary Living on a Dollar? Where. No. Oh, okay. So you have to watch that too. Basically these guys go down they live in uh, South America on a dollar a day and, and it's randomized. So it averages out to a dollar a day, but some days they might draw a number that says they get $6 that day to spend. And some days it might be zero. So basically trying to live like these people do 
you know, day to day income. And uh, what they found out got a lot of people through being able to survive were these microloans through these different nonprofits. So uh, Kiva is an app that allows you to help finance those microloans for people who can potentially better their lives, but need that principle in order to do it. So they could potentially make more on their farm if only they could grow this thing and they can't afford the beans to do it or whatever. Or they could make more in this business if they could only afford to get this extra thing, but it's going to take them, you know, forever to save up because they can't put aside money because they're living day to day. So uh, Kiva is really cool. You, one of my favorite things to donate is for people who want to build sanitary latrines for their house so that, you know, the health of their family can improve mm-hmm. or microloans for like things that, you know, are going to help them long-term. But being as it's all microloans, you get to watch them pay it back. And then you get to take that money that was paid back to you and donate it out to the next person. So I love this app. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Anyways, so being a poor kid, like a lot of times (laughs) when I have extra money, it's going to those things because I'm like, look, I get what it is to struggle. And these people have it way, way worse off than I ever did. Like I'm walking to my sink and getting clean water out and some people walking 10 miles a day for dirty water Mm -hmm. or don't have lights on or whatever. So any money that I have set aside, like I kind of feel bad about spending on myself for something. So I guess unnecessary. Yeah. So having someone pay for a free trip, that's pretty much the only time I'm going to go out of the country. (laughs) Well, I mean, you, you definitely proved you earned it. Yeah. Let's talk about your life outside of competitive eating. So you've been a teacher. Do you still do that now or do you do something else? Or um, did you just devote all your time to competitive eating? (laughs) I wish that paid the bills. Um, (laughs) No, I I am still a teacher. I teach eighth grade math at Roberts Naylor K-8 in Tucson. And my school is the coolest. Like it's in a part of town where a lot of uh, refugees tend to live because of like resettlement agencies and stuff. So my population at my school, it's just so diverse. So I can look at the home languages of my students in one of my classes, and there could be seven different home languages, some of which I had never heard of before working there. So it's just like the coolest dynamic in the classroom to see people from all over the world working together, some of which have had their whole lives of formal education, some of which are maybe having their second year of formal education as an eighth grader. So uh, being able to work with them and make sure that no one leaves my class like afraid of math is my goal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wish I had you as a teacher when I had math. (laughs) I commend you for that. My gosh, math is not my subject. I know a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, I'm trying to break that cycle. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us what your life is like apart from the competitive eating preparation, all that. What is a day in the life of Michelle like? Uh, it's pretty standard. Um, you know, I go to work probably more hours than I should. Um, cause you always want like, I don't know in, in anything I do, I, I don't want to like slack off on it. So something didn't go as well as I wanted to want to change it for the next time. So I'm working a lot, um, taking on extra responsibilities. Like I, do student council um, at the school too, and uh, might have to take on yearbook. I do a like extra tutoring session. I also teach algebra to the eighth graders who are advanced. So there's a lot of time that gets put into that. And then outside of that, like it's just pretty standard. Like I'm hyperactive in general, so 
during the winter, I like to snowboard when I'm not busy tearing my ACL. (laughs) (laughs) I like to, you know, go off and explore things. Uh, When we do long road trips, I always try to find like the weirdest things along the way to stop at. Uh, So just trying to keep my life interesting. What do you mean by stopping where? Oh, so there are some apps that I found along the way, and some of them are obsolete at this point, unfortunately. But like the Atlas Obscura app, you could be on a road trip from point A to point B, and it will show you the weirdest things along your route. So you're like, oh, we're going to stop here and see this house that someone made out of trash. Or we're going to, there's just so many weird things on any road trip you could possibly take. So, you know, if you're on a long drive, Atlas Obscura is a good one roadtrippers.com is a okay one except for it's hard to filter through the really interesting stuff Mm. um but yeah like why do something if you're not going to make it fun (laughs) right i i love road trips um just find the weird stuff guys i don't know the world's largest rabbit sculpture like i don't know (laughs) yeah we're still getting out of the covid pandemic i know that it's been tough for so many people how has it affected you? I know it affected you competing in Nathan's last year. How else yeah. has it affected you? Yeah, is I think a lot of people could say this for themselves, but I'm the type of person who, if I am stuck somewhere and trapped somewhere or feeling trapped somewhere, it's like I, I can't get myself motivated to do anything. So it kind of puts you into that depression mode where it's hard to even like do your dishes, let alone like try to advance something. So props to the people making like sourdough starters and learning new languages. But like during the COVID year, when I felt trapped in my house, it killed my motivation to do anything. Um, So even like me having, you know, a YouTube channel where sometimes I make random stuff and like speed eat a 1950s disgusting jello mold monstrosity uh i couldn't even get myself to do that so i think for the whole year of being trapped i had all this time in the world to do anything i wanted and it destroyed (laughs) it destroyed my my motivation to do that so basically i was just you know figuring out how to how to best online teach and i had that part down to a science at least so like the work stuff i was doing like went really well as far as like being able to keep the kids engaged online, but anything else in my life, I was like, well, I haven't gotten dressed today, so I'm not going to do a YouTube video and I don't feel like getting dressed today. So there's that. How did yeah. it affect your, you? I worked from home on the weekends cause it was so early in the morning when I worked, but I used to go in the office on the weekdays and we went completely full time at home. And I was like, I love this. I love this, but it does. It like does something to your motivation. <laughs> I'm so used to walking a lot. I love walking and I just stopped walking and I was just feeling eh and like just everything like the energy goes right out the window. Yeah. And for me, like when I would teach online, I would get dressed from the waist up, but I'm still like wearing sweatpants or like, so then you're not like dressed to seize the day. And there's something about not getting dressed in the morning. I think is part of it is part of not being able to go seize the day. (laughs) Yeah. It's psychological too. It's uh, where you're, yeah. It's probably why I tore my ACL because we hadn't like we went snowboarding once before the pandemic hit in 2019. And then when we went in 2020, I was pretty sure it was the only time we were going to go. And so I was like, oh, screw it. Normally I would be cautious. But if I'm not going again this year, then who cares if I get hurt? Mm. And uh, yeah, took a jump I probably shouldn't have taken during the conditions we were in. But whatever. (sighs) 
Yeah, I remember too. I kept having like lower back pain and just feeling very, my gosh, I know I'm getting older, but I'm not that old. Yeah. Like, and I I went to the doctor and they're just like, yeah, it's because you've been working from home and you're like, you know, slumped over on the computer all day. It's it's crazy. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Also, you're old. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I am. <laughs> you're older, though. <laughs> All right. So I know you mentioned your charity work a little bit, but I wanted to dig a little deeper into that because I remember since I've known you, even before you started your competitive eating journey, you've always made sure to do your part and make the world better in some way. And I know you used to raise money for clean water in the places where it wasn't available or limited. You still do that, correct? Yeah. So yeah. it all that all started when I was doing the AmeriCorps stuff. I had this program after school with these uh, kids who were all like super awesome in like wanting to take on responsibility to make things happen. And we used to focus on a different issue like each month and figure out how to fix it. And then the one that re- I really like that really spoke to me was the global water crisis. And so at the time that I knew you, that was probably around the time of the uh, World Water Walk that we put on, where we raised a couple thousand dollars by holding this walkathon where we made people carry these jugs of water for like 5K in the Arizona heat to just give them a glimpse of what it's like every day for these other people. So that one really stuck with me, especially once I started dunking hot dogs in or hot dog buns in clean water from my faucet. I'm like, you know, this is my use of clean water because it's it's never ending here. Like any day that I want to, I could I could scoop clean water out of my toilet if I wanted to, and it's still better off than a lot of people in the in the world. So that was a really easy connection to make as far as like this use of clean water I have and wanting other people to just get clean water for their lives. Um, so I think over the last 11 years, raised something like $22,000 for charity water. Wow. Um, that's the statistic. I, I just looked it up the other day because I was curious. That's awesome. Are you involved in any other kind of charities or just the water? Well, that's my favorite one. Just like I said, it seemed really fitting. Um, and also what I like about it is you can do a charity water campaign online and 100% of the donations that people give go directly to the field to build wells and other water filtration sources because all of their overhead is private donors from their like gala events and other things they do. So I think that motivates a lot of people to donate who normally wouldn't because a lot of people don't like the idea of for whatever reason, don't like the idea of paying any overhead for a nonprofit. It's like, well, they got to stay afloat somehow. But I think certain charities over the years have kind of ruined it for everyone because you hear about like the CEOs that make like millions of dollars or whatever. So, so people get wary. Uh, And so that's one of the reasons I love Charity Water. But over the years, uh, I've done fundraisers for like Breast Cancer Research Foundation, um, for Equine Voices, which is a horse rescue out here in Arizona for St. Jude's and brain cancer and just like all kinds of things. But for me, it always comes back to the whole charity water thing. Yeah. So do you have a place people can go if they want to donate uh, or like a just somewhere you can refer them to? One place that people can go is charitywater.org slash cardboard shell. And that'll take you kind of to the main 
ever going page. Um, as I do each campaign, it becomes charitywater.org slash cardboard shell slash name of the campaign. But if you just go in to slash cardboard shell, you'll see in the side like whether I'm running a current campaign at that time and a button to donate then. So yeah, I'm looking at it now and lifetime impact from uh, these fundraisers was $22,300. And that's basically enough to get 762 people clean water for life, which is pretty awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, so everybody check that out. And then the great part is you also get to see all the different campaigns or all the different wells and uh, projects that you funded. So they show you pictures of one from like Mozambique or Bangladesh or uh, Mali or uh, Uganda. And you can see like where the money from a specific campaign went to and like the people benefiting from it, which I also think is really, really awesome. That is. That's so cool. So as a person who's seen success in recent years, what's your stance of the world right now? What have you seen from humankind that you feel is helping make the world a better place? And what are some of the difficult things that you've seen? Like, how do you think humans can improve overall? Oh, man. All right. Give me a second. Scooch my chair up. (laughs) Um, No, I like just general kindness. Like it's a lot of people have it and it's so refreshing to see and just like seeing people be good to each other. Like that's such a great thing. And seeing people be terrible to each other is such an unnecessary evil. Like why, why be mean to anyone? Like it doesn't matter if someone's acting a little bit strangely on the street. Like you don't have to comment on it or be mean to that person. Like it doesn't matter if someone cut you off in traffic. Like I'm sure you've cut people off in traffic. Let it slide, bro. Like no need to be a Karen about everything. Um, but Oh, one of the hilarious things to me too is, uh, you know, coming from a background of nonprofit stuff, there are very specific causes and reasons for uh, hunger in the world, you know, lack of food distribution resources, infrastructure to get food to places that needed. It's never been about like a shortage of food on the planet. And it's always been a lack of like infrastructure and resources and uh, food deserts in certain places. So when people say, oh, they're holding this hot dog contest, oh, they're starving people in the world. It's like, bro, Hmm. what have you done to help starving people in the world? Like you've, you've complained about something without actually realizing that you have all the power in your hands to make a difference in this at this moment and complaining about this contest, not doing it. Like you literally affected nothing with that comment, but you could have gone and donated a hundred dollars to the food bank instead of making that comment. Like, if you don't have the $100, go donate your time at the food bank, go, you know, help start a community garden, like there's things you could do. And Nathan's hot dogs donates $100,000 to the food bank or 100,000 hot dogs to the food bank every year that we have this contest. So they've done more while holding this gluttonous feast that looks bad from the outset, Mm, than you're in your like, online troll mode. I don't know. So So that bothers me too, is when people, you know, complain about the way the world is without just looking into the small ways you could make a difference and like do something positive. They're throwing negativity out instead of helping be part of the solution. And that, that bothers me every time, but to each their own. 
Yeah, no, it's it's true. I mean, especially with the internet too. I feel like that's an outlet for so many people to just express frustrations about other people instead of actually looking at themselves. And yeah, it's a great place where you can just jump to conclusions and then shout out your conclusions. <laughs> yeah, and it all I mean, all of it, if you think about it really derives from insecurity. Whenever you're talking about somebody else that you don't even know, from the little you see, I mean, and you're so obsessed with it. I mean, you have to look at yourself and be like, well, what are you trying to run away from from yourself? You know? Yeah. None of us are perfect. We all have issues. I am. I'm just yeah. kidding. Of course <laughs> you are. I mean, look at you. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, but you are a good human. And that's what we should all strive to be. We're all assholes sometimes. <laughs> I mean, come on, think about it. Like, we can all be idiots and just be like, oh, you're so judgmental. And obviously, it's just part of what we learn as a kid and just we try to get out of those break those cycles I think at the end of the day it's just making a a difference you know obviously none of us know how we came to be if you believe in the afterlife if you don't but if you're looking at it from what you remember or what you know as a human it's like you're here for a reason and just make the best of it you know (laughs) like we're all the same we're all equal yeah it's all about you know empathy and If you're a religious person, the golden rule of treating others how you want to be treated. But more than that, like treating others how people just deserve to be treated for being an existing person with feelings and thoughts. Like I've known people who have this outer persona where they might lash out at people or they might be quick to, I don't know, like might not do the nicest things first. But a lot of times that's just because they're so used to rejection and people being mean to them that it becomes a defense mechanism of, you know, well, I I am rejecting this person first and I am going to be mean first. And so then when if they do it later, it can't hurt me. And so like even just recognizing when someone's behavior is kind of untoward. (laughs) <laughs> to go old school uh be kind to them and just like recognize they're a person and know that that's coming from somewhere and that like it's really easy to still start a kind experience with them and uh you know if you approach them with kindness a lot of times they'll be like oh you aren't gonna do the thing i expected and cool like i can have a friendship out of this instead of feeling the need to have these protective walls up all the time so just be nice yeah, be nice. You should have become a psychologist, Michelle. Imagine being yeah. a positive eating psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. Everything you're saying is so true. What's something, as Michelle, as a person, like the humans we were just talking about, as Michelle the human, what's something that you struggle with the most, and how do you help yourself get through that? Oh, God, I'm a lazy person at heart when it comes to anything having to do with myself. So I can go above and beyond for work and for other people and dedicate, you know, 100 hours into researching this thing for this one person and like, whatever. But when it comes to something that's just for me, it is so hard to put in that kind of like time and dedication. And I don't know why that is. But basically, that's been my whole life. So even like, me being a lazy piece of crap when it comes to training for some of my competitive eating contests, that's that's just because that's for me and my goals. And maybe I spent that time, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like helping my friend figure out what doctors are on the, their healthcare plan and calling up around until 
they have found a doctor on their plan to be their primary care physician. I've literally done that for people. I have never had a primary care physician in my life. Wow. I can't get myself to do it for myself and just like find someone and like just do It's so stupid. And I know that, but I can't get myself to do things for me. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you need to look at yourself like here comes the psychology thing again. You need to kind of look at yourself probably like a little <laughs> little girl and say, would you treat little Michelle this way? No, you wouldn't. Like the flip side of even now that I'm laughing about it of what I just said, where it's like treat people how you want to be treated. Maybe yeah. I need to treat myself how I would treat other exactly. people. That's such a common thing. So many people that do so much for the world and other people don't do it for themselves. And it's like, (laughs) you got to find that balance because you're just as important as those other people you're helping. It's like the airplane put on your mask before you help anyone else. Yeah. (laughs) Flight attendant, thanks. It's true though. So basically you need to love yourself more and treat yourself nicer. (laughs) Yeah, probably. I'll find time for it. (laughs) Okay. So as far as your future plans, do you plan on competing to capture the title again at Nathan's next year? Or do you have any other eating competitions? You know, Mickey was still there on the 4th of July. And she got to be a commentator this year. So after the contest, I I ran into her in the halls of like the stadium. I was like, you know, this belt is kind of addictive. I don't know if I'm gonna let you have it next year. (laughs) So, I mean, theoretically, I could start training now and get my numbers really good. But doubling back to what we were just talking about, whether I will do that for myself is yet to be determined. But, you know, the COVID year was rough for competitive eating. Um, A lot of contests were canceled because they tend to be, you know, venues that draw big crowds and things that the events themselves may have been canceled, like the festival that it was held at or whatever. So this year, I mean, I'm looking forward to things, for lack of a better term, coming back to normal, there being more contests, hopefully a lot of those ones that we had two years ago come back and exist again, because throughout the year, there are some really cool contests, gyoza eating contests down in Little Tokyo in LA uh, for Nisei week is always really fun. Um, Hooters wing eating contest is always really fun. And each one of those, you know, is another opportunity to fundraise for some other cause and things like that. So that's the extra bonus. But really, I just miss seeing my friends and competing and exploring parts of the country. So I I don't know what contests are coming up next yet. But I'm looking forward to doing as many of them as I can because I'm so tired of being home. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Okay, so here's one I don't normally ask people because it can be a bit mundane, but I feel like it's appropriate for you. Uh, What is your favorite food? Oh, man. I think that it is usually chicken wings. I love chicken wings. They're my favorite. And then it works out really well because that's one of the foods where, like if I was going to eat a hot dog on the street for whatever reason, um, I wouldn't pick it up off the street clearly. But if I was going to eat a hot dog normally in my daily life, I'd probably put some condiments on it and like eat it like a normal person. But chicken wings, I don't know what it is. Like anytime I eat a chicken wing, I just eat it the same way I do when I'm in a contest. Like you break a certain part of the bone, you slide it off, you've got the whole like wing in your mouth within seconds and you're, it's gone. Because that's just, I brought that from my life to the contest instead of vice versa. 
So I don't know. That's a fun one just to eat in general because it's like you're training without training. Um, but <laughs> the spiciest chicken wings, the better, or sometimes just like a good honey mustard flavor is good too. Ooh. Know. Yeah. I like the um, Parmesan ones. Oh yeah. Those are good too. Do you have a favorite chicken wing place? Uh, I mean, I've, I've had them in the past. Uh, a lot of them have since closed down. Some of the best wings in Tucson, I think it's closed now, but we're wings over Broadway. Mm. Uh, there's a wings and rice place, and it's probably one of my favorite restaurants in Tucson just because it's so weird and eclectic. And it's so similar to like a place you would find in other cities and just totally unknown. But basically they have like a really good fried rice with like a special sauce on them. But they also have chicken wings of all kinds of different flavors. You could also get like a Philly cheesesteak sandwich and you can get like, I don't know, their menu is so eclectic and weird, but I love it. And they have really good wings. Nice. If you're in Tucson, Wings and Rice, go find it. Wings and Rice. You know the address? I think it's Pima. <laughs> There's Google now. We don't need you to know the address. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wrapping up here, if people want to learn more about you or possibly interact with you, if you're nice, which you are, how would they do that? Is, do you have a website? And do you want to give your social media? Um, social security number? I'm yeah. No. no. So uh, I have a YouTube page and it's Cardboard Shell Eats. Um, I have a Facebook, which is also Cardboard Shell Eats. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I think both of those are just Cardboard Shell uh, I do have a blog that I haven't looked at in probably close to eight years. Um, but, but yeah, come find me on the interwebs, come find me on Twitter. And then, Hey, while you're there, retweet the thing that I sent to Conan O'Brien so that he, uh, calls me on his show. Cause, oh, uh, that, yeah. yeah, yeah, I have jokingly said that, well, I fully jokingly said, uh, that the only reason I won was cause I wanted to go on the Conan O'Brien show. And I was like, but then he ends it, so I guess I'm just going to throw this belt in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Conan's awesome. Have you ever seen him live? Uh, no. I always wanted to, and I had so many kind of pseudo opportunities that never panned out. Uh, but Yeah, I saw him twice. He is so funny, and he's so tall in person. <laughs> he's my absolute favorite. I love him. All right. So, wait. You mentioned Cardboard Shell, which is your nickname. Quickly tell us how you got that nickname because I know it's food related. It, it kind of is and it's kind of not. So it has a food related backstory that's totally fake. Are you ready for the fake backstory? Oh, it's a fake one. Okay. So lying to the media, Michelle. <laughs> no, so Crazy crazy Legs Conti uh, tells people now that it's because when I order takeout, all that's left is the cardboard shell. Yeah, that's, that's the one the I heard. Thing. That's wrong, man. That's a lie. And I used to tell the real backstory, but it's so like boring and doesn't make any sense. So people would just leave anticlimactically sad. I don't know. So, so the real story is when I started doing those burger challenges, I had at that point been working at the volunteer center of Southern Arizona, doing the AmeriCorps stuff, working with kids. And sometimes some of them would try to like friend request me on MySpace back in the day. And I felt bad because it's like, you don't want to cross that professional boundary with people under the age of 18, obviously. Um, and I didn't want to whitewash my social media page and like 
take off all the stuff that was like true to me. So I ended up just changing my MySpace to be cardboard shell, which I thought was funny as a kind of pseudo spinoff of a Jack Handy deep thoughts quote. <laughs> uh, so it was something like, uh, I walked outside today and stepped on a snail and I thought about how I was kind of like that shit uh, snail. We both have a sort of shell, but mine's made of tinfoil and paper bags <laughs> is basically the quote. Um, and I thought that was funny and it kind of led me to like this cardboard shell type of spinoff of that quote. But then when I started doing the competitive beating stuff, obviously I'm posting it on this like secret pseudonym MySpace page. And then the Tucson Weekly does a story on me and they're like, Michelle Lesko, AKA cardboard shell. And I was kind of like, no, those are separate worlds. But I'm like, I guess this is my competitive eating nickname now. It's it's the worst nickname in competitive eating. It meant nothing until my good friend Crazy Lakes Conti, fellow competitive eater, uh, created a fake backstory for it. So so that is the long anticlimactic story of why Cardboard Shell is my terrible competitive eating nickname. Wow. I really thought that story was true. That's That's a good one. And I, and I used to tell both, but I'm like, they don't care. I'm just going to tell them this fake short one. But since you since you were there during that time, I figured I would grace you with a full stupid <laughs> story. Nice. That reminds me of the cardboard shell name reminds me of, I forgot the not coming to me, but it's like that little shell that talks like on YouTube. It's a snail. Oh, there's a name. I forgot the name of it, but it's like a little tiny, tiny snail and they put little like fake eyes on it and it gave it a voice and it's hilarious. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It had some good advice on there too. It's about being kind to people and stuff. <laughs> okay, Michelle, I'm going to ask you a question that I ask every guest at the end of each episode. And that is, if you could say only one more sentence or phrase out loud for the rest of your life, what would it be? Now, here's my question back to you. Okay. Is this a phrase that I can continue to say every time someone talks to me? Or is this like my final words and then I'm mute for the rest of my life? Well, I, the second, because it was actually inspired by uh, the social anxiety disorder I had where I didn't speak out loud as a kid, had this massive anxiety disorder. I thought it would be kind of interesting to see like people think, well, if I can never speak again what would the last sentence or phrase be that I could tell people that would make a difference? Part of me wants to be real literal and be like, my last word or phrase would be, can you please bring me a paper and pencil? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But I I guess part of it would be like, uh, depends on who I was talking to, because like the last words you ever want someone to hear from you would have to be something like positive and that you love them and you don't want to leave anything unsaid for the rest of your life. So more real talk. I kind of think of it more as like, you know, knowing the last time I saw my dad wasn't like, I didn't know it was going to be the last time I saw him. Mm -hmm. So thinking about like words you want to leave people with, like kind of takes it to a different level. So just something, you know, positive that you care about people and stuff, but more logistically accurate, please get me a paper and pencil. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being here with me and sharing your story. It's been so fun catching up with you again. And I just, I can't wait to see what else you have in store, not just for the competitive eating world, but the world in general, because you're such a kind person who doesn't do kind things for herself, but we'll overlook that for a minute. (laughs) 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 But really, you're an incredible person and I'm wishing you all the best now and in the future. And I hope to see you um, 
again in person because it's been too long. But yeah, seriously, come down to Gyoza contest if it's down there in LA. I will. Yeah. But thank you so much for being here and for sharing everything. Congratulations again on your big win. Thank you. It was great catching up. Thank you guys for listening to another episode. I'd like to remind you to please rate, share, and subscribe if you can. That'll help others to find the podcast more easily, and it'll help me to keep bringing you awesome content. If you want to know more about me or the podcast, you can visit eringlow.com. I'm also on most social media at Aaron Glow. As always, I'd like to end the episode with a relative inspirational quote. And since we had a professional competitive eater on this episode, this quote is food-themed. And it's from Mark Twain. Part of the secret of success in life is to eat what you like and let the food fight it out inside. I'll catch you guys right back here for the next episode very soon. In the meantime, I hope you all glow and shine bright.